everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to discuss and review the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Uh, last week, we looked at X-Men number 15 called Prisoners of the Mysterious Master Mold, where the original X-Men ended up captured by the Sentinels, leaving only Professor X free outside. Uh, Master Mold, who's the giant sentient machine mothership sentinel uh, that makes the sentinels, has threatened to destroy an entire city unless Bolivar Trask, the creator of the Sentinels, uh, is going to teach Master Mold how to make new Sentinels, because apparently that wasn't part of his programming. Uh, first, it's... We're going to assume Master Mold uses they-them pronouns for the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> uh, so today we'll be reviewing X-Men number 16, which is called The Supreme Sacrifice. I just showed my son the cover for fun, and my my ten year old goes, "Who sacrifices themselves?" And I'm like, "You have to read the issue to find out, buddy." <laughs> uh, this comic book was produced in January 1966, so we are in a brand new year of the X Men, still in the late 60s. Uh, we are going to uh, uh, allow uh, each of, allow invite each of our guests to uh, introduce themselves, uh, let us know your gender pronouns, and uh, tell us about a time. Your question for today. Tell us about a time when you came close to death. You can interpret that question however you like. Go ahead. My name is Heather and I my pronouns are she, her, hers. I don't have a very exciting answer for this because I've lived a very safe life. <laughs> but mm. um, I mean, I can be really dramatic and be like, well, this happened like some very small inconvenience and just, I almost died. For real, <laughs> the closest I can think of, other than like a an inner tube overturning when I was like 10, but I was wearing a life jacket, so I was safe the whole time. I just didn't feel like it. But <laughs> um, about six or seven years ago, um, I started hanging out with this guy and he had a Jeep, which was part of the reason I started hanging out with him. It's fine. And <laughs> he took off like the top and the doors and everything for summer. And we would go off-roading. And there was one time we started going, I don't even know where the hell we were. We started going on this ledge and we almost just rolled over the side. Like I remember we were, he stopped because we were very close to tipping over and we all just had to be like as still as possible. So we did not roll down this dirt hill in a Jeep with no doors or roof on it. I mean, we were all wearing our seatbelts, but that can only get you so far when the car doesn't have anything to protect you. <laughs> so that's the closest I can think of, which wasn't even really all that close to death if we're being real. But like I said, very safe life. I'm not a big risk taker. so No brushes with death in the roller derby? I mean, I've dislocated a rib, but that's about as bad as it's gotten, but that's not close to death. That's, that's just... I'm glad you have not brushed that. That's a good thing. <laughs> I'm Noelle, uh, she, her, and I think the closest, it's another vehicle-related one um, to death, and nothing actually happened, but I was in, I'd driven up to the mountains for the day, and taking pictures. Usually when I'm driving in the mountains, I, in Colorado, I would try to come home before dark, but I stayed for sunset pictures. 
then I'm driving home and evening is deer time and I'm on this little two lane road and getting really dark by now. And I just see a giant, I guess it was a buck because it had the huge antlers mm. leaping towards the road, towards my car. And it was terrifying. If I had gone a little faster, if he jumped a little sooner, that would have been really bad. I was driving a small neon at the time. So I was not going to win that fight. So that's the closest I can think I've come. <laughs> Gary. Um, is it my turn? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So uh, name's Bradley. Um, they, them. Um, I, yeah, my instinct when, uh, when you told us the question is that like, anytime you know you're in a car, you're maybe at like, <laughs> you're maybe like, uh, one, one unfortunate decision <laughs> away from, <laughs> away from it. Um, I, I've had like a few dicey car situations. Probably the closest is, um, I was at the beach with my sister when I was younger and we were just like, we were kind of at that age where it's now like safe to be sort of unsupervised, but like, we are still like definitely teenager like like early teenager like late like I was probably like nine she was probably like 13 um but we were like just kind of roughhousing in the water and we just got like it just kind of got out of hand we just got out too far and I was pretty sure I was gonna die um but I I don't know if that core like I don't know if I actually was but I was in my head um but like we were definitely like I was able to like pull her back a little bit and then I would be too weak to like go any further. And she would uh, like pull me back towards shore a little bit. We got like back to shore and just passed out for like, for like a while. Um, But yeah, that's, that's the one that springs to mind as far as when I felt like I was like, Oh, I almost just died. Um, I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't know if that's, if I was just dramatic or if it was that bad, but it did feel that bad. Sure. Uh, my name is Chad, uh, he, him, his, and uh, I feel like I have a couple of stories, but the one I'll tell today, uh, when I was 20 years old in a former life, I was a closeted Mormon missionary. You know, those like guys with the little tags that knock on your doors. And I was in a, I was in Philadelphia and uh, my companion and I, the guy I was paired with, got surrounded by this group of, uh, of guys who were mugging us. And uh, they told me to empty my like pockets and I literally had nothing but a bus pass. And I was just like, guys, I don't have anything. I was like, not compliant. And uh, I ended up getting punched in the head multiple times to the point of unconsciousness. And uh, it wasn't until like a couple of weeks later, I was like, what if there had been a gun or a knife there? Like it was, it was actually quite jarring. Uh, uh, that's like a, a really sad little trauma story, huh? <laughs> now that I'm telling it, I'm like, I'm smiling. But I'm like, listen to this awful thing that happened to me. Uh, so as a therapist, I used to run uh, different support groups, which I don't do now, but this is, we would have group opener questions. And this is one of the questions I would ask. And I was shocked because everyone always had a like brush with death story. Some of them really insane and some of them more minor, but this that issue- my students as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked with junior high students that were at risk in state custody. And so we had multiple gangbangers or wannabe gangbangers and just all sorts of things. So I, I feel that. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, this issue uh, has a death in it, which made this question relevant, but we're starting out in a very sober place. <laughs> 
Uh, well, we are made of paper. What was that, Heather? I said I told you it was a morbid question. It was a morbid question. <laughs> Bradley, what'd you say? Oh, you said we are made of paper. Like, uh, we are... <laughs> Humans are very fragile. We fragile yet resilient creatures, we humans. Uh, okay, so today is the third part in the Sentinels epic. So uh, the X-Men comics have gotten a little more serious now that we've gotten a little ways in. We have multi-arc episodes. Uh, things are a little less ridiculous and a little more uh, poignant. Uh, there's more resonance. Uh, so last issue and the issue before we introduced the Sentinels, Bolivar Trask, we've talked about them in previous episodes. And things... Uh, go a little crazy. So let's begin with our reactions to the cover. This may be the most insane cover we've had thus far. <laughs> uh, tell me some of your thoughts. This is sort of an overall thing for the Sentinels in general, this issue. They've got like, like they, they've got sort of the shapes that you'll get used to with the Sentinels, but we're really kind of, we're not to what you really like it's not to the color scheme and all that stuff and they look so insane <laughs> they look so wild uh i feel like uh it's it's an awkward angle for master mold no one looks good when you take a picture from, like <laughs> under the chin right he's like you know, he's like back and we've got like five teenagers racing for his crotch somehow it's an awkward angle uh yeah. I, I i'm uncomfortable <laughs> By the, by the angle of all this. But it does look, I mean, he's like a big Kirby designed, like God almost, his hand on a staff. He's like very Odin-like. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, oh, I was just gonna say also, I don't know if it's just the coloring from this particular printing or what, but his face isn't gold. It looks more flesh colored. And so he looks the most like an actual human than we've ever mm -hmm. seen him. Yeah, And yeah. so that just adds to the, looking kind of like a god because he doesn't look as much machine in this particular picture. And Cyclops is hugging his right knee like real tight. Like, aw. And then Iceman, Iceman I feel like is like farting out an ice trail that's like propelling him into the air. And then he's just gonna hit him with an ice stick. He's got a little- Yeah, hand, it's like, that little ice club <laughs> that I was the most enthralled with. I love that. I love that Bobby said, that's the ticket. That's my, it's my deal. <laughs> Uh, Noel, did you have any reactions? My favorite was uh, Iceman, definitely. I was like, what are you going to do with that? It's clearly then, not yeah. very much Stick it up his <laughs> nose. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's as useful as, like, what's Angel going to do up there? Like, he's just flying toward his head. What, you going to punch him in his huge head? Yeah. <laughs> or, or like a little mosquito buzzing in his ear. Flap yeah. your wings. Uh, so I think this is a good opportunity before we even begin. Can we just read Master Mold for Filth for just a moment? Like fashion, body made wrong. I mean, there's so much going on. He's, he's like trying, that's they, excuse me. They're like trying to be Magneto with this like red and purple color scheme, but it is it is just not working. The headpiece, the the cane accessory someone needs to consult a fashion specialist the little booty shorts are fun that's a fun touch <laughs> as a robot you should always wear booty shorts it's the little booty shorts and with the boot combo that like it's really it really hits like, he recently became sentient and i'm guessing he has not looked in a mirror yet i, I <laughs> presume that that i keep saying he that they are unaware of their uh fashion choices 
they, they, they weren't responsible for their own design, but oh my word, it's a terrible design. I was not installed with red carpet <laughs> sensibilities. I love your robot voice, Bradley. Uh, uh, any any fashion consultations from uh, Heather and Noel? It looks like his boots might have a little bit of a platform to them. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is fun. We love to see it. They've got a little lift. And see, my thing is. Anything you can wear with that kind of confidence, like you do you, boo. <laughs> yeah, we're roasting it, but the longer I look, the more I'm like, maybe it's a pride get up. That look like I've seen worse. <laughs> also, someone needs to design them a neck. So as we launch into page one, we get uh, kind of a splash page of, I, I feel like it's the S, the X-Men at uh, Master Mold's discotheque. Uh, who, do you, who do you think has the best dance moves? Oh God. Scott's kind of rocking it. Uh, oh, oh, uh, Warren. Warren's the only one of them who can dance. I believe that. <laughs> Angel's got like, as well. arms up, kick back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think in general, he's the only one of these people who I trust to dance. Jean is a maybe. <laughs> She's like doing the floor poses. Yeah. yeah. Jean is unconscious like we are so familiar with in most of her other appearances. Uh, okay, so as... Oh, I'm sorry, go oh, ahead. I was just going to say, Iceman is mid-leap, very dramatic. Maybe he's doing ballet. <laughs> yeah, he's like a full-on, just king of the, uh, I'm the king of the world, Titanic style. Yeah. He's just full-on breakdancing. <laughs> As he does. Uh, so we open the issue with Professor X outside. He is not in his wheelchair. Uh, he is laying in the grass knowing his teens have been kidnapped by uh, killer robots, basically. Now, if you are Professor X in this circumstance, you are paralyzed from the waist down, but you have one of the most brilliant minds in the, in the, on the planet, uh, telepathic, super powerful. What are your options? What can you do? Well, there's not anyone around at the moment that he can manipulate into helping him. So... <laughs> Except his X-Men and Bolivar Trask are right inside the base. They're right there. I just wonder why he didn't reach his brain in like it. It does the base have some kind of uh, telekinesis repellent, like uh, or, um, telepathy repellent? I, I was confused. At the end of the last issue, he sends his astral form into the base, but Master Mold senses him somehow and like disrupts him with an electric blast. Uh, okay, so maybe sure. he's like weakened right now or something. But he did the most, he did the most weird, like long range. My teenagers are about to die. So here's my plan to get them help. Who wants to, who wants to cover him? First, he does some of the best nut shelling that you've ever seen. Like he basically in seven panels says exactly what has happened in the last two issues. And you know, just nutshells it up real nice for you. It's like yeah, it's, previously on. As you know, <laughs> good, yeah. it's real good uh, in, uh, exposition. Is that the word? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so who wants to tell us what Professor X actually does to get help? Oh, he, he just crawls. he flags down. No, he crawls to the highway first. Yeah, and then all the way to the highway. 
I guess what's involved, because I was like, I feel like you didn't need telekinesis, to, or I, I just keep saying that. Telepathy. You didn't need telepathy to, like, uh, <laughs> but I guess he, he says specifically they were going so fast that, like, he gave them the, like, sudden impulse to slow down uh, and, and then stop and, and help him in his car. Yes, so he zaps a couple drivers. Now, a couple of issues ago, one of the Sentinels at the TV studio has collapsed. And he's leaving his teenagers behind with, like, death machines. And he's like, I'm going to go investigate what caused this other Sentinel to collapse. Which is a smart move, but not when your teenagers are about to be murdered. Sure. You know, death robots. Teenagers are always about to be murdered. Uh, so as he's in a car rushing for uh, for help, we find the four original X-Men minus Beast, who is still uh, captured somewhere else, uh, put inside a giant glass fishbowl that repels all of their powers and also has like an internal gravity device keeping them like plastered to the ground. It's heavy grab globe. That's what they call it. That's what the Sentinels call it. And the Sentinels are carrying them around like the royalty. Yeah. <laughs> I hope no one farts in there. <laughs> I, so I know kidding. that someone is, and I know that someone is Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, we get them in this very... So there was a cage in the last issue that wasn't as strong. Cyclops could break through it. But in this one, this is like... This is like a, a, a super powerful force glass or of some kind. They're trapped in there for a little while. Uh, what efforts do we see the X-Men using to try and escape over these next couple pages? Oh, they're actually pretty smart about it. Yeah. Uh, I've got to give them credit. Oh, I was going to say, Jean seems like she had the worst idea. She's just like bouncing herself off the top of it. <laughs> Yeah, this is not Jean's finest moment. She lifts no. herself up and then like cracks down with her head at like the worst angle. She's yeah, it looks like it crippled her. Like she's giving us full like drown poodle pigtails out the side. It, it's it is it is not her finest moment. Yeah, um, Iceman does pretty like Iceman's idea is probably the most solid of the three of them. Because uh, he he tries to make like a uh, he calls it I think a battering ram, but it's more like a um, like those shower uh, like shower rods that extend outward. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, it, Iceman loves to... Iceman loves a phallic ice construct. <laughs> <laughs> Giant two-handed, uh, but it doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Hand. None of it works. Although it does give him and like Cyclops a nice little moment where like Iceman's yes. been feeling like the baby of the team and Cyclops super like precious. yeah Cyclops like acknowledges like hey you did all you could you did a really good job that was a great idea don't worry about it yeah, uh, and he, like... he refers to him as a man which is like a nice little moment for the two of them. And then Bobby's like, you called me a man for the first time. And Scott's like, you're as much a man as any of us, Bobby. Never forget it. Like, oh, precious but, moments. But literally, literally one sentence before he calls him a man, he calls him a boy. Says, Don't ever say that again, boy. You did all that any man could do. And he's like, oh, you called me a man. Even though he literally just said boy in the same breath. Hear what you want to hear. That's what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby's like, oh, I'm blended in. Uh, so let's 
talk about Bolivar Trask for just a minute before we uh, delve into the Sentinels. Uh, we've reviewed this really, I'll, I'll, I'll review this really quickly, uh, although we have talked about it in the last couple of weeks. Bolivar Trask is, uh, we get more backstory on him later uh, in the comics, but he is an anthropologist who has like vast government connections. He is kind of like Joe McCarthy He's got this political movement. He sees mutants like McCarthy saw commies. Uh, like we're gonna target them. We're gonna form this campaign against them. And he's formed a pretty impressive media campaign, but he's a shitty robot designer. So his death machines, <laughs> not so great. We also later learned that he has two mutant children, Larry Trask and Tanya, who's called Madam Sanctity, I believe. Uh, they've got tragic stories themselves. So not only is he anti-mutant, but he's like, trying to find some cure for his own children somehow. Uh, what real life people do, when I, when I describe Trask in this manner, like what real life politicians or people does this make you think of? Who comes to mind besides McCarthy? I don't know, cause it's a little hard to find like a, a analog as far as someone who is both politician and like, um inventor in this way i mean scientists. we don't have many scientist politicians obviously so, uh so spoiler this issue closes with a quote about trask to read this out loud this is the last thing said in the comic it says beware the fanatic too often his cure is deadlier by far than the evil he denounces you see people who have these huge agendas against a particular population. So queer theory, for those of you that know this, there's a, back in the seventies, there's a woman named Anita Bryant, who was like a Christian Ooh. singer who launched this crusade against gays. Uh, and you, like, you see this type of thing, people who will seize political power over, let's fight against one particular group, be it Jews or women or African-Americans or mutants, frankly. Uh, and I think we see a lot of it across history. I, I mean, Hitler being a prime example of how to form political power against a group. But it's it's a really jarring uh, a jarring message that we receive here because we see someone trying to seize absolute power and then, spoilers, it does not end well for them. Uh, and I don't know, and it, what are your thoughts on this? If any. It does make me think of Reagan, but everything bad always makes me think of Reagan. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of unleashing these ideas that go further than probably well, ever imagined. Sure. Yes, but like, I mean, I guess it's that like for him, he really doesn't, um, he doesn't get there until moments before dying. But like most of the real world analogs I can think of never experienced any moment of regret. Like, uh, <laughs> They're just, if they're still alive, they're still the horrible people you remember. Just no uh -huh. one cares. They was see Anita Bryant. Uh, uh, Reagan was like that forever. Well, and in recent years, we've tried to see campaigns formed against uh, immigrants like xenophobia. Uh, we see it against, uh, you know, women's right for determination in their own bodies. Uh, we certainly see it against, uh, like, vaxxers or anti-vaxxers now like uh we see these political movements or that form against people based around a, a message of hate but this is a transcendent issue i think that that really hits all points in history it's uh it's a it's a really interesting thing i, I think stanley's brilliant for bringing this into the comics back then uh, teaching a life lesson here because here's this guy who meant to do good 
but it wasn't good. He was obsessed and kind of evil uh, in his fanaticism. And he does use the word fanatic to describe him, yeah. which is even, even, uh, even more powerful. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Or we should go back to being nerdy again. <laughs> um, are we already at the place in the comics where, where the dialogue of like protecting a world that hates and fears them is, or is this still pre that? This is kind of where it starts. That's what I was thinking. Cause you really hadn't seen that much of that up until now. This is really the first kind of bits of like, they're, they're uh, working to protect, I don't know, uh, even someone like they, they try to go back to save this guy that put a really good effort into killing them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, there, there's a couple of hints of that in the earlier issues, uh, but it's almost from a mutant superiority place. Look how much better we are than humans. And then you see humans afraid of mutants the first time, but this is the first time we see like a, an agenda against them. The, the narrative really starts spreading. And Trask realizes obviously like, oh, the X-Men are actually decent humans. Like I need to reformat my thinking. Uh, so when you- Well, he first realizes bad. that like the robots are bad. Like these robots are, are going to kill, don't care about humanity. They're just killing mutants. The best that they are offering is enslaving humanity. <laughs> and and there's another, uh, you know, draw in of you launch a political campaign behind a message and then that campaign becomes a machine which then develops its own sentience and, and its own feet to walk on, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So we have lots of moments in history where somebody started something and then it went way past where they meant it to go. Uh, I don't know. Interesting, interesting commentary. I think it's uh, I think it's really smart storytelling. Uh, any other deep thoughts, or we can jump back in on page six? Okay, so we'll keep going then. So we have uh, we have Master Mold uh, uh, having Bolivar Trask held captive still. I am looking at all these little sentinels who are all sentient, and they have distinguished themselves by placing little numbers on their chests. And I feel a little bad for the guy that put the zero on his on his chest. What do you think happened to him? <laughs> he was the very first one. So they had to start somewhere. Maybe he used to be number one and then they hurt his feelings. He got demoted. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. Go put a zero. Yeah, he said you can't he said you can't demote me. I'm one. And they said that bitch you thought. Like <laughs> <laughs> And many years later in the 90s, we get a member of the uh, Mutant Liberation Front who's a robot named Zero who has an actual zero on his chest and head. Do you guys remember Zero? The, the like all white guy with the with the zeros. He's like Strife's little teleporter. There's, there's some reminiscence there. Also, uh, I gotta say, I said it before and I'll say it again. The, the color scheme that these early Sentinels are going with is really like red and blue look good usually. This is not it. Uh, the the pink and purple really does them a lot of favors somehow. <laughs> With their orange faces. Mm -hmm. This is just, it's a boot for me. Yeah, it's bad. Uh. <laughs> uh, oh, really quickly, I was gonna ask, as we're talking about Trask, can you guys think of other comic book characters, maybe even heroes who launched big campaigns? So an example that comes to my mind is like Iron Man is a weapons designer, right? Uh, can you think of others? Who, who perhaps have stepped into spaces with agendas that they later regretted. Oh Mr. yeah, I mean, uh, on the in Iron Man, there's the whole Civil War situation uh, mm -hmm. where uh, at least the story was trying to convince us that everyone was wrong at the end. Um, 
even though the story hadn't supported that. Uh. Mr. Fantastic must have a hundred stories where he has tried something and it has not gone the way he hoped. Uh, oh, uh, 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 Giant Man designed Ultron. Like, I'll just do this little experiment. And then it becomes like a genocide monster robot. So I, I, we get this. We get well, this we'll see heroes. later on with um, with Cyclops, where he sort of strikes off on his own as part of the mutant leader thing, and then the story kind of waffles around with whether that mattered or what his intentions were. But he at least starts off with very strong, like a very strong, uh, I don't know, idea in mind of what he wants of of a goal, uh, and is uh, ostracized because of it. I think we could probably think of at least 30 beast stories that are the same, <laughs> where he tries something and it goes so awry. For example, time traveling the original X-Men. Uh, any other any other beast stories come to mind for you guys? Hmm. Or his like, oh. his like little X-Force CIA where he's like taking over a whole yeah. country right now with mind control. Once again, he still doesn't seem to feel that bad about <laughs> Tier Bear today or anything. Uh, okay, so if we uh, if we continue here, uh, the Sentinels following Master Mold. Uh, what is Master Mold's goal here? What's he trying to do? Create an army of Sentinels to take over the world. <laughs> Very pinky in the brain. <laughs> And uh, he, like, uses a disintegrator beam to, like, prove to Bolivar how strong he is. Like, unless you work for me, I'm going to destroy this whole city. Which, poor Bolivar, like, that's he's put in a tough spot there. He also, yeah. to prove it, destroys, like, a machine in his own lab. Like, that was... <laughs> you broke your own thing. Uh, no, yeah, not so great uh, robot creator and you know they're not under his control he does seem to have given them a lot of powers somehow mm -hmm. there's a there's a thought bubble in issue 14 where professor x is like the reason the sentinels are are so evil is because bolivar is not a great robot designer like he's an, he's an amateur designer that's why this turned out this way which is unfortunate <laughs> Uh, so we got is one thing. <laughs> Anthropologists should not design robots. Uh, so we cut back to Professor X, who's rushed back to the TV studio. We see Sentinel Five R again from uh, issue fourteen, uh, who just collapsed, and Professor X is wondering uh, why. What does he discover when he gets back there? Well, first, I love him being carried in on the chair. <laughs> Oh, like he's a king. <laughs> um, but then he figures out it's a, a giant crystal on a building. There's a crystal products building across the street with a giant ass crystal hanging in like a bell tower that disrupts the signals that give the sentinel sentience. Am I summing that up accurately? Mm -hmm. I love this building that just has a huge crystal. Just, I, I want to see that in life. That sounds cool. <laughs> I feel like that's a driving hazard. Like you're going to get light shining off the crystal. And you're like, oh no, crash the car. That's going to melt somebody's car. Ah. Is what it's going to, that's like an ant, like, like a magnifying glass <laughs> and an ant is what that is. <laughs> I saw this thing and someone had bought like a crystal ball and the person who sold it to them, they're like, make sure that you, 
keep a cloth over it when you're not using it. And they're like, oh, is that because of like the spirits and like all this stuff? And she was like, no, because if the sun comes through the window and hits it, it's going to set your house on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We also see Professor X using his telepathy to try to probe the mind of the sentinel, uh, which we've, we've estimated in the last couple episodes, the sentinels have sentience. So there's some sort of thought connector point but even as he's doing it he's like this thing's basically like a television set like he's so he's so condescending somehow as he he tries to read this he's also the way his powers work in this issue is sort of not the direction they'll ultimately go just in terms of that he seems to be able to like just send his mind like mind rays at things to get like a topography map of what's going on inside them or like he does that later from the helicopter to the ground where he's, he's like uh sending like his mind down there to see what's going on there which is interesting it, i don't think you see at some point they kind of dispense with that uh that power but it is cool if you guys are reading the current x-men comics and x-men number two the brand new series uh, Jean Grey recently has a, uh, a, a, a speech to sync, I believe, where she compares um, telepathy to like having a flashlight beam, where you can kind of scan it over everything or you can hone it really sharply in on one thing. So we're doing like a mind scan or probe as opposed to like a focused uh, thought pattern, which is kind of an interesting concept for these uh, for these this power set. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see uh, we see Professor X realizing that this crystal is going to be the thing that can defeat the Sentinels, which is convenient because uh, if they had not found this crystal, their ass is grass, which is a, <laughs> a good thing. Uh, but then we jump back to the X-Men still waiting their turn to escape the glass prison. Uh, the Sentinels move to put Beast inside of the prison with them, which means they have to open it up uh, which it tells us it opens by repelling atomic particles from the globules structure. Uh, what are your thoughts about the opening of this, uh, this little cage here? Well, I thought it was neat that they, um, they give a little, the like personal note, if you want to make your own, um, here's, here's how it works. I they, they really didn't have to do that. Like if, if you're reading this as a kid, you have no question. They're going to open the ball, sure. Um, but it kind of, it seems, it reminds me of like a precursor to the, um, to the like uh, info pages that, you know, we're getting these days, uh, get, giving like in-depth explanation, like pseudoscientific explanations of, uh, of how these weird superpower things work. I actually love that you brought that up. That's fantastic. Uh, Heather and Noel, any thoughts here? It's a weird opening. It like melts away. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's the only way to open a glass ball. But <laughs> yeah, it melts away in like three different colors. So... I feel like we're zooming in on like a rose, like getting real close to like its petals somehow. It's a yeah, it's a weird picture to me. But the X-Men are ready to go. We see them like thrusting themselves out of the opening. I don't know a, a more eloquent way to phrase it, uh, but there is- So that's a thrust, you're right. 
<laughs> Cyclops gets out first uh, while thinking of Jean, of course, because she's always on his mind. Uh, and uh, then the X-Men need a bigger opening to thrust through. Sorry, everybody. Uh, uh, <laughs> and there's a new battle with the Sentinels again. Tell me some of your favorite moments in the, the fight scenes to follow. I love Jean, again, using her powers in the most random ways against the Sentinels. Because she's like, oh, I'm going to stop him with my telekinesis. Oh, no, he's too heavy, but I'll slow him down. And now I'll just send his arms back to get him off balance. Mm -hmm. and then the rest of them can step in and make sure he doesn't get back up. Uh, that is something I, I was joking about uh, Warren being useless earlier, but it's something he does as well. They, they tend to, when they can't outmuscle something, they tend to um, outmaneuver, um, mm -hmm. which, is, which is really cool because Jean, Jean's not yet at her like, you know, yeah. as powerful as her telekinesis will be. And well, Warren is Warren, but he is fast and swift and smart. Well, and then Warren is still in the midst of battle against these deadly sentinels. He can still find the time to call Jean honey. <laughs> <laughs> and be really condescending, yeah. We also see some power synergy here, right? Which is a big focus in the current mm -hmm. comics. Uh, Jean's knocking him backward and then Iceman forms a slippery path beneath his feet to knock the sentinel over. Uh, mm. I, I don't know, good teamwork. Uh, but then the sentinels fire stun rays, oh no. And the X-Men are defeated once again with a boom, a giant boom through the middle of the battle. <laughs> uh, do you guys feel at this point the, X, uh, the sentinels are a formidable threat? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because it's working. It They really seem like they they really don't seem like they've got their stuff together anytime we're seeing them on the page, but but they are very powerful and they did manage to knock out all the X-Men. Mm -hmm. And this they, is as a unit, they remind me of the banana guards from Adventure Time, though. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're I mean, they're arguably the X-Men's most consistent foes, uh, besides Magneto. Uh, what makes them formidable here? Because they don't have emotions so there's nothing to you know try to play on or even and since they are robots they also can't really be manipulated by professor x mm -hmm. which is how so many of their foes have been defeated before mm -hmm. and so the fact that they aren't human makes it a lot more difficult to because you know they only really know how to deal with humans. I mean, other than mutants as well, but they are human. And so, you know, this is way before we all have pocket robots and things like that. And so robots aren't, and electronics aren't quite as common then. And so, you know, you really don't know how to talk to robots. Well, now I'm gonna have a nightmare of an army of Tamagotchis seeking to take over humanity. <laughs> <laughs> you mean a premonition? <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the Sentinels. There's also an interesting message about superiority, right? They develop sentience, and it's we are better than humans. We are programmed to destroy mutants. Uh, we know better. So there's there's like a, a, a sentient narcissism that automatically develops, uh, which is interesting. 
which is a theme we see in so many robot stories and other mediums from Ultron to iRobot to Asimov to everything in between, right? Like uh, the, the robots taking over the humans because they do it better, which frankly they might because the world is not looking great right now. No. <laughs> robots are always waking up and realizing that their dad is dumb. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bradley and Noel, do you guys have a favorite Sentinel story besides this one? Oh, I do not. Um, okay, so in terms of like humor, the one where Cyclops convinces them to like that the most logical thing to do is to fly into the sun just by like basically wordplay is very funny. I also think just in terms of like, um, in terms of just like a way of like reinventing the Sentinels and their threat, the uh, where Cassandra Nova sent them uh, to destroy Genosha was, it, it's the time that I felt the most um, uh, tragedy from from the Sentinels because it's the least it's the least like a um, uh, oh X Men are just fighting big robots they just go and kill a bunch like a a city full of just people and it's very it's very sad. So this is for Heather primarily, but perhaps Noel as well. There's a story in the 2000s where we learned Professor X killed his twin sister in utero. And then, she, com and then she comes back as a woman named Cassandra Nova who weaponizes Sentinels to kill 16 million mutants across the planet. It's a really intense story. There's like a mutant- By way of it, it brings the Trasks back again too. It's like his uh, nephew or something that gives her uh, access to the master mold and she, sort of repurposes them into a lot. Also by then um, in that story, the, the Sentinels themselves are not as humanoid as we're used to seeing here or in most Sentinels. Yeah, they call them They're, wild Sentinels there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they look like um, like the uh, little horrifying toys of, uh, of SIDS in Toy Story, <laughs> like, like the baby head with the, with the spider arms. It's a lot of those. <laughs> They're they're creepy. Grant Morrison does it. It's Grant Morrison, I believe, is the writer. It is, yeah, yeah. It's been it a while. Very time. very scary. Uh, so these Sentinels are almost ready to destroy the X Men, but Professor X has mobilized three helicopters. How many goddamn helicopters does this man have? Maybe these are not <laughs> well, his. Not there his. So many helicopters. They're not these his. Are the police force the police. helicopters. Yeah. Okay, he still. How many helicopters does the police force have, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not as many as Professor X. <laughs> uh, but they are carrying this giant ass crystal over the facility and the Sentinels just kind of start dropping dead. It's a little mm -hmm. sad actually somehow. They like just fall over because the crystal's near them. <laughs> sad thing. Yeah, it is. It is a little anticlimactic. Uh, <laughs> Basically, the X-Men get knocked out, and then while they're asleep, the Sentinels get knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> and Professor X is, like, literally saving the day here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he and Bolivar Trask. We'll get to that in a second. But, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's zapping them all. Although, if, if Master Mold had succeeded in his creation of making millions of Sentinels, would the, would the crystal have just knocked them over anyway? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> It would have been like an area of safety around the crystal. Yeah. Does the, the does the crystal work on Master Mold? I want to say Master Mold is only taken out by the 
by the by the explosion. I don't I, I don't think for whatever reason that the crystal works on him. I do not so. believe we ever see this crystal again. It might be mentioned in passing at some point. Uh, I'd have to do deeper research, but I, I'm pretty positive we don't see it again in conjunction with the Sentinel's story. So we'll never have the answer to that question, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, so we go back to the X-Men who are now waking up. They find the Sentinels collapsed all around them and they launch into attack. Uh, we get a close-up of Beast's giant toes. So for you <laughs> out there, this is the issue for you. Uh, what, are your, some, what are some of your favorite moments uh, in the, the following fight scene? And we'll, we'll come back to Bolivar Trask in just a second. I do oh, honestly, love... Oh. No, go ahead. Oh, no, you go. Uh, I was just going to say, I do love whenever um, the lights all go out and they're all like, oh, I can't see. And like Angel crashes into things because he's flying in the dark. And <laughs> just general confusion is a little bit funny. That's also a very good panel of silhouettes. They all just look really cool. Mm -hmm. the club. Um, uh, on the same page as, as the silhouette panel and uh, the uh, Beast foot fetish panel, uh is uh the a big panel of just like some nice like like kirby type uh machinery um that looks really cool you get a real sense of scale when you see it like you see boulevard down there and he's tiny and you see like that that huge machine that makes the sentinels above him and the master molds in the foreground yeah it's, that's it's a, just fun to look at that's an amazing panel i agree in the action shot on page 14 as the team's running into action did you guys all notice how jean gray is running it's the weirdest thing. She's hopping. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's like she's not running. There's the like there's the she's telekinesis hopping. bolts behind her. Yeah. It's, I like, guess. it's like she's riding a telekinetic snake. She's like going yeah. Wah, wah, through. I don't. Girl, you didn't have to do all that. Well, I, uh, if you're gonna teleport yourself, you could go in, you know, just a straight line. <laughs> It's a very strange <laughs> way. I think, yeah, I think she's maybe just experimenting somehow, or she's falling down to the ground after trying to like <laughs> up. I don't know what's happening. Uh, anyway, poor thing. She needs she needs some practice. Uh, okay, so we move back to Master Mold, who has this giant ice tray. Yeah. Uh, and here's the scientific explanation for how Sentinels are created uh, by Bolivar Trask's design. He has a giant robot that sits in a chair that is powered by an ionic energy power source. And then syntho particles are transferred from Master Mold's mind into a giant ice tray, which then pops out Sentinels. And the more it works, the faster the Sentinels will be birthed. Yes. Uh, I would love an ice tray. I would love an ice tray that I could put what looks like Mountain Dew here in there and have little ice oh. Sentinels. That's the cutest thing you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, what 3D printer do I have to contact? <laughs> uh, you got to love yourself some Kirby science. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the Sentinel creation process? This is the room where it happens. This is how the sausage is made. <laughs> it seems really inefficient. You can only make eight at a time. Yeah. Although it does say like it'll make eight and then I guess it, it's implied that the process speeds up the more are made for some reason, but that's 
it's unclear why, but I'm not going to ask questions because I'm looking at a sentinel ice tray. Now, if you could see this, how would you presume sentinels are created? Well, what's more, what's like more alarming is what are they made out of? Are they made out of metal? How is it? Where does it? They're made <laughs> yeah, of... you need like physical resources. There don't seem to be any. They're made out of syntho particles from Mastermold's oh. cranial cavity. I don't know. I would, picture, like, I would picture like an assembly line. Yeah, yeah, like a factory, like little, you know, mm -hmm. levers and things. It's like, just little drills. That I'm, was what I was thinking too, yeah. I'm pretty confident we get a future Master Mold who like opens its mouth and sentinels mm -hmm. come out from inside of it. Does that ring a bell with anybody? <laughs> yeah, no, and that's somehow even grosser, which I wouldn't have thought possible. <laughs> with at, least, at least they did not make Master Mold anatomically correct. At least they come out of <laughs> mouth, because that would be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> when, a, when a Master Mold and a Lady Sentinel uh, love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Bolivar Trask is tasked with creating these sentinels. And just as they're about to be birthed, he's having all kinds of deep thoughts. Let me read just a couple of his thought bubbles out loud. Once the process is started, there'll be no stopping it. If enough energy is built up, the machine could run forever. They'll eventually outnumber the human race. They'll enslave all of mankind. They'll be the masters of the earth. And all because of me. In my ignorance, my fear, I created an evil far greater than the menace it was built to destroy. Uh, give me some of your thoughts on Bolivar here. I, I for realizing he's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of start to feel bad for him because, you know, he does figure it out. Yeah, he started out pretty shitty, but he's learning, which not everyone does. Well, tons of bad people die never realizing that they were responsible for people's deaths. Uh, <laughs> so, like I said, as far as I know, Ronald Reagan never felt bad a day in his life. So, uh, <laughs> unless his own like personal fortune was disrupted somehow, then. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but we get this like really sad panel with with like Trask ripping off his mask, like ready to sacrifice himself, and then he grabs a I don't know what that is. Uh, uh, dildo <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> and his smashes, personal one smashes the ionic power what was that <laughs> I, I said his personal one and then i said that thing's as long as his spine <laughs> <laughs> uh and he smashes the ionic power source and uh like a series of explosions destroy the entire base collapsing in on master mold collapsing in on trash and killing him, which mm -hmm. is frankly quite dramatic. In the previous X-Men issues, we've seen villains defeated by having their minds wiped. I don't, I don't, taken they've been taken to space and turned to stone. I, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think we have a single issue where like the villain has been arrested and sent to jail. <laughs> I guess Vanisher went to jail after his mind was erased. I think he went Stanley to Stanley doesn't believe in the prison system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of strange. They're fighting all these bad guys who just kind of walk off at the end. Professor X just let Lucifer well, go at the end of their battle. I mean, most of the people that they're fighting are mutants who wouldn't have stayed in prison. So... <laughs> 
so as the building is exploding, the X-Men have to uh, get out. Uh, who wants to talk about Beast and Bobby here? Because it's, it's- Well, also, wait, before we move on, one more thing. I guess Boulevard doesn't do anything illegal, does he? Do they do any property damage outside of this building? I don't think so. I mean, it destroys- like, What would happen? That that had didn't occur to me when I was reading it until I thought, what would they charge him with if he were going to jail? And I like blowing it, like because <laughs> <laughs> the X Men aren't about the X Men aren't about to testify against him. Yeah, because they'd have to publicly reveal themselves. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, also probably why no one's arrested. Yeah. What was that, Heather? I said, which is also another reason why nobody gets arrested. Mm. He's going to testify. Yeah. Interesting. He has the right lawyers and he gets away scot-free. <laughs> uh, so somebody somebody talk about Beast and Bobby here. I, I find it so awkward. <laughs> Just surely there had to be a better way than like, so like Beast says something like, um, uh, oh, he's too slippery. Like it gets too hot and Iceman's about to pass out. Um, he's too slippery to hold in my hand. No, and so he like he like loads him into his legs, and I guess like like walks on his hands out. That like I have to believe there was a better. You have a friend who's a telekinetic. Why didn't you just say Gene? No, Beast wanted to do this. This was literally like fireman of Tim. What? If you can hold him in your legs, you can hold him in your arms. Yeah, like (laughs) he lays Bobby like across his ass, and then like (laughs) lays him on his booty out the door. It's so strange. It's such a weird panel. (laughs) There were just so many other options. (laughs) So many. Like, was it even necessary? Was anyone even going to be worried about it if they're like, "Hey, could he hold ice man?" Like. They have to get out. Like, yes, he could have. But thank goodness a minute later, Bobby has thawed out a little. So now Beast can hold him properly. <laughs> I think he just wanted to put Iceman on his ass. That's that's my theory. He's it's a little... Maybe then. he was sore. We don't know. <laughs> He's like, my hemorrhoids are killing me. I need an Iceman. <laughs> like a, I have like to a do this, guys. Pack. I have to. I had no choice. It was my only way to save his life. <laughs> Uh, and then who wants to talk about Gene and Scott on the next page? We're on page uh, page 18. Aw. <laughs> uh, we get some quality, uh, we get some quality uh, romance, uh, romance comic stuff going. Yeah, some pining in the midst pining. of like this giant fire. You're like, get a, get a grip. Uh, <laughs> but some good teenage stuff. Gene? And she's like, even with his own life at stake, he worries about me. Is it any wonder I feel about him as I do. Gene lifts, Gene lifts Scott out of the way and then he's like, don't strain yourself while you save me. It's actually kind of sweet. Uh, yeah. yeah, It's a cute little moment. Again, she really needs a new headpiece though. That like two yeah, strands of hair out the back is not doing it for me. No, really. It's a pigtail moment. I That does, um, I, I, I do wonder sometimes, I've, I've tried to draw this costume before and I was like, what's going on with how her hair comes out the back of there? And the answer is that it's not nice. It doesn't look good. I mean, in <laughs> fairness, it keeps her hair out of her face. That is true. That so is true. So you're oh. wearing 
a head sock that covers like Batman cowl, right? And it comes out the back and you cut two holes here. So like, Noel, you have the longest hair. You'd have to like bunch <laughs> all of your hair on one side and pull it through. And then all of your hair on the other side and pull it through and then like floof it out. Like, and all I can think is all the hair that's going to be stuck in there. Like you're <laughs> never getting all of your hair out of that. Like, and what is it made out of? It looks kind of rubbery. And so that's not good for hair. You're going to rip it out too. It I looks like latex, but it's probably unstable molecules because that's what oh, yeah. all of the Marvel costumes are made out of. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's it's real strange. And then Jean saves the day. They mm -hmm. are locked inside. Yeah. She uses her powers in a new way this time. She projects her telekinesis through a wall and she triggers like a lock mechanism that she can't see, which is the first time uh, she even notes it. This is the first time she's done this. So we get a rare Jean saves the day moment. Yeah, we do. Is she also, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, she also manages to, um, uh, Angel wouldn't be able to flap his wings without hitting, like there's fire really close on either side. Mm -hmm. And so she tells him like, extend your wings and I will just. Uh, Fly through. Yeah, which is really cool. Uh, she kind of saves everybody. Yeah. And as she's doing that, Iceman is still on Beast's booty. Just <laughs> Uh, Noelle, what were you going to say about Jean? Oh, I was just going to say, it seems uh, Jean's power right there where she's, it seems very similar to Professor X using his power to kind of like see things or figure out how things look or what's inside, which is she doesn't have or doesn't know about her telepathy right now, right? Right. So it's, she has kind of a weird combination of powers going on there. Mm -hmm. Although, although at this point in her history, she's already been to the future where she was killed twice and one time used her powers to reassemble her body out of spare organic matter. And then she forgot that she did that. So somewhere there's some subconscious memory. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. Also, I do think like, I think this power makes more sense for telekinesis than it does for telepathy. I think the idea of sending your brain out and like feeling your way through what open space exists there makes a lot of sense for her powers. Um. As they are escaping, we see Angel uh, insulting Beast by calling his feet uh, tugboat tootsies, <laughs> which sounds like a 1920s, like all girls band. Like, oh my God. <laughs> we're going to go down to the dance hall and hear the tugboat Tootsies perform tonight. It's Tootsies. Tootsies? I can say Tootsies. It's Tootsies. A Tootsie roll. Tootsie. Now I don't know how I say it. <laughs> that really does, it really does feel like they're flirting a little bit though. Uh, <laughs> like it, like it seems like he's just negging him and he's like, he's like, uh, not you, Gabby. That also, what is the nickname Gabby? Uh, like talking a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, not you, Gabby. They'd never find boots big enough uh, for those tug boot tootsies of yours. But you say tootsies too. Noah, how do you say it? I think tootsies. Tootsies. Yeah, that's how, that is how I say tootsies. tootsie roll. So. Okay, I think I probably say tootsie too, but now I'm questioning myself. It's not a word I think about a lot, nor is it a part of my vocabulary. Never, <laughs> like growing up, my siblings and I, whenever we would like make a toast or whatever, because, you know, kids are weird. We would always, our toast was always a toast to our tootsies. May they be warm forever. Okay. <laughs> <And so. laughs> 
My my partner is like really careful with his diction. It's like important to him. He like emphasizes his sounds, but he says the word R U R A L. He pronounces it rural, like it's a rural. The rural dur. And I say rural. I was just thinking. And I teased him about it for years, but we recently had a friend over who's like, "Oh, I love living in a place that's this rural," and Mike was like, "Oh." Did you hear that? <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> okay, so the X-Men get out narrowly. The base explodes. And then we get this very sad ending with uh, Bolivar kind of cradled on the chest of Master Mold underneath the, the wreckage, uh, where we get this kind of warning about, uh, about beware you know, your own hubris, basically. Uh, what did you guys think of this ending? Well, it I comes. The... Oh, 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 go on. Oh, sorry. I I was just gonna say I like the the villain redemption story, and I think there was no other way to kind of redeem him. He had to sacrifice himself to do it. Um, so I liked that part of that. It's a very uh, sort of poetic ending too, where he dies sort of in the arms of his creation that killed him. Um, also, something that we we uh, are I missed earlier um, is that Professor X. So he went out there with the like policemen um, and did his whole thing where he saved the day. And they're still they're still holding this giant crystal up with their with their helicopters. And while they're up there, he erases their brains so they don't remember that. So as far they as they know, they're them. just yeah, yeah. They as far as they know, they're just kind of up here holding a giant crystal. Well, I don't While think they're that on the clock. <laughs> I don't think that he made them forget about the Sentinels. He made it so they didn't see the X-Men coming out. Ah, uh, okay. I thought he just erased their memory of the whole day. And I was just like, wild move, dude. Yeah, <laughs> from my understanding, I could be wrong. I think oh, he's probably. just making it so they don't see the X-Men. He's altered, he's altered their memories to protect his students, which is more noble than just wiping their day. Because if you think about that in real life, you like would lose your job and then go home to your family. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so deep nerd dive for just a minute. If you guys have read the future comics, Master Mold and the Sentinels will return in X-Men 57, which we will get to eventually. In the far future, we see uh, uh, a deadlier version of a Sentinel. It's a pink weird looking fucker named Nimrod who comes back in time and hunts the X-Men. And it's a really scary X-Men actually. There's a story farther in the future where Master Mold and Nimrod pass through this like magical doorway called the Siege Perilous, which then melds them together as a different futuristic robot called Bastion, who's another major foe of the X-Men. Uh, Bastion, uh, will later uh, be involved in a series of adventures against the X-Men, uh, and he does a lot of crazy things. But one of them, he's involved in a story where he uses an alien techno-organic virus to revive a number of the X-Men's old, dead human foes. Among them, Bolivar Trask. So we see Bolivar Trask come back in the future, uh, reanimated under the control of Bastion, who is Master Mold, mixed with the future Sentinel Nimrod, which is again like, 
ooh, he just was not thinking ahead when he did this. He had no idea what the consequences of his actions are. So that's a really good storyline if you haven't uh, read that original run in X-Force volume four or five. Uh, uh, Craig Kyle and, and Chris Yost, it's a, it's a great story uh, if you guys have read it. Uh, so we always ask uh, our, 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 our guests, what was your favorite moment in this issue if you had to choose one and who was your star player today? My star player was either, again, Balver Trask or Jean. Because like Noel was saying, I did like the redemption arc for Balver Trask and that he did make the sacrifice in order to right his wrongs and save everyone basically. Because if he hadn't done that, then I don't think that they would have ended up winning. But also Jean, because she really got her moment in the sun with the different ways that she was able to use her powers and like save everyone's ass. Um, my favorite moment, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite, but just for pure ridiculousness, when Charles is crawling to the fucking highway because like that was not the best way to do there there were better ways to <laughs> lack of planning yeah uh Bradley how about you um I, I'd say okay so my two I probably have two favorite moments um and the first one, just because it's a cute team moment, is like when they're all trapped in the bubble, they each tried their best to to, um, to get out using their own individual powers. And then the way that they end up getting out is by, you know, working together as a team. That's just like a cute team book moment. Like that's a fun, we're better together than any of us are uh, individually. Um, uh, but also just the the conclusion of uh, the conclusion of this with the moment where um, uh, where you see you know his Bolivar realizes the error of his ways and then it talks about you know the the danger of fanaticism um, and um, it's just a nice it's a nice moment uh, nice might not be the right but it's a touching moment um, my star player is. I'm gonna say Jean just because I like I like Jean really getting to a place where she's she's really a force to be reckoned with. She's the one who's consistently saving the day. Um, and uh, I would give it to Xavier because he's the one who does factually take out the the uh, Sentinels, but I refuse to give Xavier credit for something. It's valid. <laughs> uh, Noel. I had literally the same thought about Professor Xavier where I was like, oh, he did save them, but no, I can't. Uh, I can't say it with him. So my star player, I have to go with uh, Bolivar Trask. Um, I, and I love that last image where he's um, laying across the, the Sentinel and everything. Um, I, I like complicated characters. And so someone who goes from being a villain and you can see his con how conflicted he is the whole time over what he's done and even when he's you know working for the sentinels it's for trying to save people so i have to pick him my favorite moment though after the that last picture of trash is the helicopters flying in with the crystal it's so insane 
And I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite moment is the same, that last or second to last panel with uh, with Trask dead under the rubble on Mastermind. I think it's brilliant storytelling. Uh, and, you know, star player, I'll get into the characters, but Stanley and Jack Kirby, in all of their titles back then, started out with just nonsense, silly 60s, madcap crazy. But they stuck with it a while. And as they did, they became incredible storytellers. This three-issue arc of the X-Men for a 60s book is so good and so resonant 50 years later. I'm so impressed by it. Uh, you watch this like build with Trask, the media campaign, captured by the Sentinels, and then like saves the day by sacrificing himself. It's a beautifully told story. I'm really impressed. And I feel like all of the X-Men get some character moments along the way. Uh, the story's contained. Uh, you see them in this sentinel base, basically the entire three issues almost. Uh, it's not scattered all over the place. It's a really, really solid block of storytelling. Uh, the Juggernaut epic in a similar way, but this one's better. And we get more and more coming up. Although we only have three more issues written by Stan Lee and then a new writer takes over. So we've got, we've got a new era of X-Men coming up shortly. Uh, my star player in this, not surprisingly, is Bolivar Trask as well. I think, uh, I think it's a really brilliant, short-lived character that you care a lot about by the end. Uh, as we look at next issue, we have a, uh, a promise that there's going to be an unexpected menace. In X-Men number 17, I will not spoil, even though it's 50 years old. We get a villain targeting the X-Men and kind of taking them out one at a time. And he's in the shadows the entire issue until the very end. It's kind of a suspenseful read. So Heather, for you especially, since you'll be with me next time, don't skip ahead, it's worth the reveal. Uh, but what are your thoughts as you look at uh, the cover of uh, X-Men 17? Any preliminary thoughts? So the words on the side say, you must not reveal the incredible ending to any living soul. Remember, we'll be watching you. And none soul shall survive. And we get the X-Men. Uh, the like red is really red cool. In dark red. It's kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah it's mm -hmm. just the red, black, and white are just a yeah, monochrome thing. It doesn't get old. It looks as good now as it did then. It, it's, it's cool. Yeah. Any other thoughts? The door, the door opening in the shadow. It's very menacing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have three uh, modern series, Wolverine, Deadpool, and Carnage, that are all called uh, Black, White, and Blood, if you guys have seen those titles out. And they're all just printed in black, white, and red. Like, that's the only colors in the books. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, artistic it's style. Solid. Yeah, it looks cool. <laughs> Uh, so as we as we sign out here, uh, uh, Heather, if you'll start, and then Noel, and then Bradley, tell us uh, where we can find you on social media, and if you have any current uh, stuff coming up with your own works, we'd love to hear about it. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Heather underscore Beth underscore, and I said it in the last episode, I'm set on private on Twitter, but send me a request, and I'll probably let you follow me. I'm pretty liberal with that. <laughs> Um, and I am on X, or on Instagram and Twitter at X-Men Unraveled, um, and my podcast is pretty much wherever you listen, um, following the comics in chronological order. Right now, I'm going through the stories of Namor the Submariner, so those have been pretty fun to work on. Yeah, it's really it's a really fun listen, too. I really like your, your stuff. Thank you. And Bradley? All right. Um, my name is Bradley. I am on Twitter at Knife System, K-N-I-F-E-S-Y-S-T-E-M. I, -S -S -E -E I, uh, I'm making art regularly. Um, I make comics 
all that stuff. You'll kind of see me uh, post about it on there. Um, but yeah, uh, and I'm on Instagram at Bradley A. Clayton. Uh, so find me on either of those and uh, chat with me about whatever. An incredible art. Beautiful, beautiful work. I really love it. Thank you. Uh, you can find Gray Malkin Lane on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Gray Malkin Lane, the podcast. Uh, we're posting things regularly based on the episode that is running during the week. Uh, well, my tugboat tootsies, uh, it's been wonderful to connect <laughs> with each of you today. Thank you for being here and supporting the podcast. And uh, I look forward to connecting again soon. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Pleasure. Bye.